radically change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we think about paradox and how things are often contrary, uh, several years ago now, we were, uh, we were in Virginia and we were hiking and we had decided to go up to one of the highest peaks there in Virginia. And so the kids were really small at the time and so we're, we're hiking and, and uh, Noah was, you know, of course not able even to scale the mountain. Natalie was a little bit older and so uh, I had Noah on a baby carrier and so we're hiking up the mountain and then Natalie rode my back most of the way and we would stop periodically because I don't know if you've ever tried to hike you know hiking in and of itself is not necessarily easy you know if you're traversing up a mountain but if you're carrying two other humans up the mountain well it's not now it's much younger then but uh, it's not easy at all okay I mean I don't care if they are small or big or whatever so here I'm hiking up this mountain and we brought one water bottle up the mountain. And so the water bottle is with me, as are the two other humans strapped to my body. And we're climbing up the mountain. So we stop about, I don't know, half or three quarters of the way up. And I, Dad needed a break, you know. I mean, you know, it was just, it was hard. And so I stop and I get the water bottle out. Which, you know, water bottles have come a long way since then. This one was made of plastic. And so I get it out. <clears throat> And as soon as I get it out, Natalie says, Dad, I'm thirsty. I want something to drink. I'm like, well, hang on a second. I'm the one who's muling you up the mountain here. Shouldn't I get the first taste of water? But she insisted that she have water. And I said, well, come over here and I'll pour some water into your mouth. And she said, no, I want to hold it. And I said, well, now, now wait a minute. <clears throat> Let me just give you some water. And then, you know, why do we do that? Have you noticed that? That parents want to negotiate with their children? Right? Have you noticed that? I mean, I'm guilty of that. And the older my kids get and the older I get, the more I realize how dumb that is. You are in charge. They are not in charge. But nonetheless, you know, a young parent, I'm like, oh, well, okay. So she grabs the water bottle and jerks it away from me. And as you now know the rest of the story... She and her tiny little paws wasn't capable of holding the water bottle. And she dropped it on this rocky mountainous hike that we're taking. And she shattered the water bottle. So as I watch all of the water empty from my water bottle, I wanted to throw Natalie down the mountain. <laughs> Here's a picture. They, maybe they can pull it up here. A picture of us right after this moment happened. All right, this is Natalie like, what? I didn't do anything. This is me saying, should I toss her down the mountain now or should I wait till there's no witnesses, right? This is me trying to figure out, why is my life like this? How did I get to this point? Right, and so here, you know, so here we are. I've got, I've got the, you know, this is typical Chevy Chase, right? I got the video camera in my hand. And I got a kid strapped to my back, I got a backpack, I mean, I'm doing the whole nine yards. So yeah, so as we think about paradox today, I want you to think about something that everyone struggles with, and we're going to look at scripture today to see what God has for us, and that is control. Everyone struggles with control. It is part of your nature to struggle with control, and just like little kids, you know, here's Natalie at a young age, 
struggling with the reality that she is not in control, but she wanted to be in control. And so many people, there is so much peace that could come into your life if you would just relinquish control. And so many people want to struggle and they want to fight, and so we're going to talk about that today and see what God has in store for us. You see, all of our hearts desire to be in control whether you're willing to admit it or not. Sometimes it, it manifests itself, sometimes not as much. But at least we feel like we're convinced that we're in control. I mean, the reality is you're not in control. And we'll talk about that. But we're convinced that we are, and so the enemy has done that. You see, in our quest to be in control, we even often attempt to control God. Isn't it ironic <clears throat> that in this pursuit of control that some of the most exhilarating moments in our lives are the moments when we have no control? I, I've thought about this this week. I want you to, I want you to think about this, for, for instance. Take, for instance, roller coasters, okay? We have no idea who builds them. We have no idea if they work properly. But we are absolutely enamored with the idea of flying through the air at warp speed, only strapped in by a belt buckle. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, that is insanity. That we want to go up on the highest peak as, as we can get. There's a ride. I love to go to Dollywood. And they have a ride. It's called the Wild Eagle. If you've ever been to Dollywood, you have to ride. It is incredible. It is though you are an actual eagle. But there is nothing underneath you. They don't, you don't sit in this... They strap you in from the top, and when you come over the top, it goes 210 feet high. Now, I'm afraid to get on my roof, but I'll ride a 210-foot roller coaster. That doesn't make any sense. It goes over 60 miles an hour. It is the most exhilarating ride in the world. And it's in those moments where we say, hey, this is amazing, but it is in that moment to which I have absolutely no control. I have no control of how the rails work. I have no control of the speed. And neither do you. But we think that we, we have assessed the situation enough to believe that if something, you know, in my warped mind, I think if I hold on tight enough to this thing over my shoulders, if things go south, I'm still going to be good. That's irrational. You see, ironically, man was created to have control. To have authority. We see here in the scripture, it says in Genesis 1.26, it says, God said, let us make man, in our image, you've seen this before, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Man was created to have dominion. And look what, what God says, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock over all the earth, <clears throat> and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man was created to have dominion, to have authority over the things that God created. So Adam was given this dominion. He was given the authority to rule, the authority to be in control. So you say, well, what happened? Well, you see, God created Adam to be in control. But don't miss this this morning. God created Adam to be in control of what? To be in control of God's things. You see, there's the difference for most people is that we are not content with being in control of God's things. We want to be in control of our things, right? And we want God's things 
to be our things. And so what we do is we fight for this control. You see, God's original design was for Adam to steward God's stuff for God's glory. But that didn't happen. We see in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says here in Genesis chapter 3, it says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. And so here's the serpent that comes to Adam and Eve and he says, hey, look, you want more power? Do you want more control? Do you want the ability to do things that you were never intended to do right now? This is how you get it. And so the flesh began to desire and began to crave this control. And so Adam, instead of being content with being in control of what God had given him, listen to this, Adam wanted to be in control of Adam. And so what began as this, you know, small, well, okay, I guess I'll take some more control, it turned into something that wrecked humanity. And every one of us have this this undeniable desire to be in control. We want to control not only ourselves, but we oftentimes want to control everything and everyone around us. And so here's Eve who has this temptation to to be like God. And what does she do? She instantly involves other people that she wants to be controlled as well. Right? This would be a great place for me to insert a woman versus man joke, right? But I'm too smart for that. I'm not taking the bait. And so here is this control battle taking place that they want to control not God's things, but they want to control what they wanted. Adam and Eve, often like you and me, wanted to be in control of their own lives. And the struggle for every one of us is a daily battle that we would be in control and not God. You see, what Adam once ruled in godly stewardship, the first blank this morning on your handout, what he ruled in godly stewardship has now become a daily battle to bring back under his dominion. As I thought about this, and we don't have time to unpack all of it, but as you think about the curse on humanity, and you think about the strife that took place, the Bible says that uh, he'll strike his heel, and you see woman's strife with uh, childbirth, and you see man's strife with the earth, that ever since that happened, there is this struggle that has taken place between God's creation and man. You see that? And it's because man wants to be in control of man. Man doesn't want to submit to the control of God. And so there's this daily struggle to bring this back under God's dominion. And so instead of stewarding God's stuff for God's glory, now we often steward God's stuff for our glory. That we want to use God's things for our benefit. That we want to manipulate the situations. That we want to control quote, the situation to where it benefits us. You see, Adam still had power. Adam still had the ability, but it tainted his authority and it tainted his influence. You see, if it didn't taint his influence, Adam wouldn't struggle with control. But Adam struggled with control because it changed his ability to be in control. That's what sin does. Right, Sin convinces you and me that we can be in control, that we can be like God. 
And so our flesh is in this constant struggle to try to believe and to achieve that reality. You see, you still have the ability to make decisions. You say, well, wait a minute. Pastor Matt, I'm in control. I get to choose what I do every day. Do you? Do you get to do that? You see, you still think, and I still believe, that we have the ability to make decisions, to be in control, if you will, but it has tainted because the flesh now does what? It doesn't want to do things for God's glory. The flesh doesn't want to control your actions and your abilities and your words for God's glory. It wants to uh, control those for your glory. The flesh is constantly driving towards self-service. How can I benefit me? How can I be in control of me? What is this going to do for me? And so we get to our text here in Mark chapter 15. We see in Mark chapter 15, now Jesus has been arrested as we're leading up to the crucifixion, as we'll celebrate the resurrection next Sunday. Jesus is being led up into, uh, to, the, to be crucified. Now, he's already been arrested. Uh, we've seen some of the trials that have already taken place. And this is Mark's version of what happened that night. The uh, other gospels have a couple of things to say about it, but we'll look specifically at Mark today. In uh, verse 16 of Mark chapter 15, it says, The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. Now, I don't know why they called everybody. I spent a little time thinking about this. A battalion was four to 600 soldiers. You know, at this point, Jesus has been arrested. There's not this, you know, insurrection. Like, there's not people that are banging on the door trying to get him out. As a matter of fact, all the disciples abandon him. And so there's, there's not this big uproar yet, okay? And so I'm not really sure why they brought 600 people. You know, it's kind of like uh, after Jesus was crucified and they buried him, the, the non-believers sent guards to guard the tomb because Jesus said that he would rise again in three days, but yet the believers didn't go to the tomb and believe that he would rise in three days, right? And so it, here's these four to 600 men that come. Now, I don't know... Uh, you know, if it was because of the popularity of Jesus, but I just find it interesting that that many people are here. Okay, they called them all together. They clothed him, the Bible says in verse 17, in a purple cloak indicating royalty, and they twisted together a crown of thorns that they put on him. And they began to salute Jesus Hail, King of the Jews. Here's Jesus in this moment. He's, out, he's already been beaten, he's been falsely accused, he's been wrongly convicted, and now they're mocking him. They were striking his head, verse 19, with a reed, and they were spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, verse 20, they stripped him of the purple cloak and they put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. So here, here we have all of these Roman soldiers, the battalion, likely a lot of these guys had been around the entire night before as Jesus was arrested. They sent quite a bit of people to the garden to arrest Jesus. And so I imagine this story. Here's this soldier that's arrested Jesus. So I imagine the night before the soldier, you know, he was getting ready that previous afternoon and it was his turn to go on duty, and he knew that that was the night that they were to go out and to arrest this man, 
named Jesus. Now, you know, crowds had begun to follow Jesus at this point. The name of Jesus was pretty well known in the area, okay? People had begun to follow him. Jesus would have to go off privately in many places. The gospel teach us so that he could have prayer time or to sleep or to have time alone with the disciples. But he didn't have much of that because the popularity of Jesus had grown immensely during this time. And it hadn't escaped the soldiers. It hadn't escaped the guards. You see, the night before, as he began to get ready, I imagine he's at home and he's wondering all of these things of what will tonight look like? How many problems are we going to have to deal with? What will this insurrection potentially be like? And so he knew this was the night that they would arrest, and ultimately their goal was to crucify this man named Jesus. I imagine his wife and him had some conversations that there was this nervous anticipation of how tonight would go. Is it possible that Jesus really is the Son of God? You see, in his mind, he was imagining all of these things, but what he was not imagining was if they would be able to accomplish their goal. You see, Rome ruled with an iron fist, and there was no insurrection in Rome. They would stamp that out immediately. And so as the soldiers began to get ready, he thinks about everything that's about to take place. And so he gets his things, he goes to work that night, they arrest Jesus, and now, as we picked up in our text, they are mocking Jesus. As they led him away, they grabbed some thorns and they twisted them as to make a crown. And so there's this crown of thorns after now Jesus has been beaten, he's certainly famished at this point, and they place the crown of thorns upon his head. You see, as I thought about this, I thought about how we have a false sense of control. Here's this soldier who thinks that he is in control of the Son of God, the creator of the universe. Remember in Genesis 1.26 we just read, Jesus was there. Wednesday night we talked about Uh, In our series on Wednesday night, we talked about how Jesus prayed in John 17 that before the foundation of the world, God loved Jesus. Jesus is there at the very beginning. Before the soldier was even a thought, Jesus was. And yet, in his attempt to be in control, he twists these thorns and places them on Jesus' head. A false sense of control. You see, for many, many people in the world today, there is this massive false sense of control. And what it causes us to do is it causes us to see things in a distorted view. That we believe that we are absolutely in control. That we think if we say the right things, that if we do the right things, that if we manipulate the situation and the circumstances, that God will be obligated to do what we want Him to do. Right? That we're in control. I I think about the scripture in Luke chapter 12 as I was studying. This is what Luke 12 says. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Right? Every one of us wants to believe that we're immortal, that there's no end in sight. You know, one of the hardest thoughts to captivate is that you will live forever in eternity. Have you ever tried to think about that? You can't. 
We have no context for forever. But in our minds, in our hearts, our flesh deceives us into believing that yes, in fact, we can change the, the outcome of our life. We can change the uh, predestined time in which we will step into eternity. But the reality is we can't. I mean, Scripture says that God even knows the very number of hairs upon our head. And then, you know, we would all joke and say, well, it's easy for God to look at Matt's head, right? Ha ha, right? But the reality is that I, if he knows every hair number upon our heads, if he says that you can't add a single hour, how in the world can I believe that I have any control over how that goes down? But we have this false sense of control, and it distorts everything that we see. You see, it causes us, it causes us to crown Jesus, the King of Kings in our lives. Next blank on your handout. It causes us to crown Jesus, the King of things in our lives, that we want Him to be responsible for, but not in control of. You see what happens, it causes us to, call, to make him things that we want him to be responsible for. But things that we don't want him to be in control of. You see, we like to blame God when things don't go the way that we want them to go. It's this distorted view of control. You see, we want God to be responsible for our comfort. And we believe that we should have comfort. We want God to be responsible for our pleasure. And we want God to be in control of our pleasure. We want God to be responsible, listen to this, for our personal plans. Just like Adam and Eve had plans for what? To supersede the control of God. We have plans in our life, and often it is to supersede the control of God in our life. And we want God to be responsible for those things. How in the world can God allow bad things to happen to people, right? That's the question all of humanity has asked. We want God to be responsible. God, how could you allow that to happen? You see, when the careers that we choose don't work out the way that we want it, we blame God. When our relationships have conflict, we blame God. When life doesn't work out the way that we want it to work out, we blame God. And so what, what it tells us about ourselves is that we want God to be responsible for everything, specifically our eternity, but we don't want to give Him control of those things. We can no longer be trusted with the power to be in control, but like Adam and Eve, we still desire to be in control. <clears throat> the soldiers, they thought they were in control, the crown of thorns leading Jesus away to be crucified. You say, well, they were in control, weren't they? Well, did they arrest Jesus? Yes. Did they crucify Jesus? Yes. Did they keep Jesus in the grave? No. Did their attempt to stop people from following Jesus work? No. So you tell me who was in control there. Right? This crown of thorns that they placed on Jesus' head, it was not a sign of lordship. It was a mockery of kingship. It was not a sign of lordship. You see, the reality is, in a desperate search for a king in our own lives, most people place themselves on the throne. 
Just like the beginning of Israel, they wanted a king. And so they get Saul to come in because he's tall and handsome. And they make Saul the king of Israel. And we, of course, know that that didn't go very well. And it's the same for you and me. That in an attempt, and this God-shaped vacuum that we have in our hearts, to have someone as the king of our lives, we circumvent the process and control of God. And we place ourselves on the throne of God. That's, that's God's. You see, lordship is when we submit ownership of our lives to Jesus. Lordship is when we submit ownership of our lives to Jesus. You see, Jesus says, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He says that if we confess with our mouth, Romans 10, 9, and believe in our heart that Christ was raised from the dead, we will be saved. For whosoever, Romans 10, 13, calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But what we've done is we've created this easy believism in our culture that, as a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't have to be Lord of our lives. Now, this is a complete heresy. But that Jesus doesn't have to be Lord. I just want him to be Savior. I want the benefits of Jesus. I just don't want the surrender to Jesus. This is how our culture does everything. Lordship is when I give ownership. There's a word in Scripture that talks about servant. It's the word doulos, D-U-O-L-O-S. And it's interpreted in English to be servant. You know why? Because we're wimpy Americans and wimpy English that we can't take the word slave because it's not politically correct anymore. But in fact, Scripture teaches that the original interpretation of that word was not servant. It was slave. But your Bible in many places says servant because we can't stomach the reality that in fact we are not in control. That we are a slave, Paul says in Romans 6, to what? To righteousness. We're a slave to righteousness. But for most people, they are in fact a slave to sin, to flesh. That lordship in your life looks like you doing what you want to do. That you acting the way that you want to act. That you getting the things that you want to get instead of submitting to the authority of the Lordship of Jesus. You see, your heart longs for Lordship, but your flesh fights it every single second. See, the problem is we want to be in control of the things that we have created. The life that we've built. The things that we want. The careers that we desire. We've created those things that we want to be in control of. And so this crown of thorns, if you will, that's the things that we've created instead of being in control of what God has granted us. You see, Adam was granted dominion over what? The animals, the livestock. What are those things? Those are things that God created. And Adam was given dominion over the things that God created. But sin caused Adam to desire what he was never intended to have. So here's these soldiers. They're in belief that as though they could use this crown of thorns to control Jesus. So you say, well, okay, yeah, that, that, that happened. But how, what has that got to do with me? Well, here's how you know that you struggle with control in your life. It's very, very simple. Here's how you know that you battle for control. You see, the battle for control in our lives manifests itself as friction 
in your life. It manifests itself as friction. This is when your flesh is attempting to control things. Circumstances, people, situations. It's where we strive to be in control. I'm going to make it very clear. It's where we strive to be in control. If you, if you look up the definition of the word strive, it means to struggle. Striving, this is, this is how you know that you're striving in your relationships. Is there always conflict in your relationships? If, if that's the case, you're striving for control. There's always conflict. You're striving in your family life. Is there peace in your family? If there's not peace in your family, if you're constantly striving in conflict in your family, guess what? You're struggling for control of your life. If there's conflict, if there's striving in your finances, struggling in your finances, why is that? Now, this is not prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you won't have problems. I'm saying you will have peace in the midst of those problems. That's what I'm telling you, is that so many people have this striving in every area of their life, and everywhere you look, their life is a disaster. There's problems here, and there's relational, and there's these financial problems, and there's all of these family problems, everything. They're always in conflict. Why is that? Because they're struggling for control. If you're in the middle of a conflict right now, it's because you're in the middle of a control battle. You're trying to figure out who's going to win. This is a clear indication in your life that your flesh is trying to control you. I'm not saying that there will be a scot-free life. Jesus didn't say, follow me and things will be awesome. Jesus said, follow me and things will be worth it. You see, because Jesus picked up his cross while wearing a crown, we get a glimpse into what power and control really is. You see, power and control is not always getting your way. Power and control is not always doing it the way that you want to do it. Because remember, what did Jesus say? Father, is there any other way for this cup to pass for me? Remember that? It's not just getting your way. You see, it is surrendering your plan for God's plan. It is surrendering your plan for God's plan. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, these will come up on the screen. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Let this sink in. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and what? And peace. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God see the conflict it's hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law in fact indeed it cannot do you see that conflict there that the flesh says that I'm going to be hostile to God because I want to be in control I want to be led by the flesh and God says listen If you're led by the Spirit, it leads to, what does it say? Life and peace. Surrendering control of your life to the one who controls life. You see, in this paradox kingdom, 
Jesus says if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves, which is denying the flesh. We must take up our cross. We must be cross bearers so that one day we will be crown wearers. When the soldier went home that night, something wasn't just right. Now, he had crucified many people. His wife asked him, I imagine, about the events of the day, and he couldn't shake the idea and the thoughts of what had just transpired. You see, normally criminals, they would fight back. They would struggle. They would have to beat them into submission. But today, that wasn't Jesus. Normally, they would act out. They would curse and respond back. But today, that was not Jesus. He was calm. He didn't respond when they mocked him as king. He didn't fight back when they placed the crown of thorns upon his head. The crucifixion that Friday wasn't much different either. When they hung Jesus on the cross, Jesus willingly went to the cross. See, the soldier just couldn't get it out of his mind that the one who seemed to not have any control the, the one who hung on a cross somehow seemed to be in complete control. You see, when he died, the Bible says that the earth shook. Now, can you imagine the feeling of the guard when the earth shook? I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake, but I have. And it is the most helpless, powerless feeling you could ever have. You see, in a hurricane, you can run from it. You get a warning. In a tornado, you can run from it. You can shelter. There's a warning. With an earthquake, there is no warning. You have no control as the ground shakes beneath you. I was in Virginia at the time, and uh, I was in seminary, and the ground began to shake beneath my feet. And we all jumped up, and we ran out of the building, and Melanie called me on my cell phone. She says, hey, Did you just feel what just happened? And she was out in the yard with the kids. And I said, hey, get in the middle of the yard. Stay away from the trees. Because I didn't know. I mean, I'd never been in an earthquake before. And here's the ground shaking. You have no control. None whatsoever. It's though in your mind that the earth may somehow fall from its rotational pull and just sink into the abyss. It really feels that way. Here's this soldier. The earth began to shake beneath him. The Bible says that the veil was torn from top to bottom. When Jesus died, the Bible says that the tombs were opened. Can you imagine that? That you go to lay flowers on the grave of one that you've loved in the tomb, the one that you visited every month since they passed away, and then all of a sudden, the one who had no control, who's hung on a cross, When he dies, the earth shakes, the veil tears, and people who were no longer living all of a sudden now are living? What a day. What a day. What a day. The one who looked like he was out of control was somehow in complete control. In dying the most brutal way possible, Jesus died in peace. He died in peace. You see, when you've surrendered control of your life, you experience peace. It is the opposite 
of conflict that we talked about earlier. It's the opposite of strife. You see, Jesus knew he was going to the cross, and what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus relinquished control to the Father in order to accomplish the Father's will. And in the midst of conflict, in the midst of the most brutal way that you could imagine, Jesus was in peace. He was in peace. You see, peace only comes from being led by the Spirit. That's the only way that you can have true peace in your life. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you, this is Jesus talking, in all truth. He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. For many of us, we need to stop trying to speak on our own authority. But whatever we hear God speak to us, we need to start declaring those things. You see, it says, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said, look, when you're led by the Spirit, you accomplish the will of God. When you're led by the flesh, you accomplish the will of the flesh. You see, when we're led by the Spirit, listen to this, the authority of God is spoken into our hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm desperate for the authority of God in my life. I need the Word of God every single day. And when we are led by the Spirit, when the Word of God is leading us, when the Spirit of God is leading us, the authority of God is spoken in our lives. You see, if you want to have control of your life, you have to surrender your life. If you want to have peace in your life, you have to stop fighting God for control of your life. You see, when this happens, it results in God being glorified. Several hundred years ago, France and England were at war. And there was a French vessel that had gone on this long mission. And they had come back. And when they came back, the crew was short of water. And they were now near this English port, as the story goes. And they wanted to get some water. But they were afraid that if they did actually come to port, that they would be taken and they saw some people that were in the port, and those people saw this French vessel, and they began to, uh, to signal to them, hey, it's okay, come to shore, come to shore, you can port here. And the vessel, the, the ship saw the, uh, you know, they had the distress of no water, and they saw the people. And so the people on shore sent word, it's okay, you can come, you don't have to be afraid. The war is over, peace has been declared. But they couldn't get the sailors to believe it. They didn't dare go into port, although they were completely out of water. And so they had this internal conflict. Do we surrender and get water? Or do we stay out here and perish in fear? At the last minute, they made up their minds that they better go in and surrender their lives to the enemy than to perish at sea. Without water. But when they got to shore, they found that there were no enemies on shore, but in fact, that peace had been declared and that what had been told to them was true. There's a lot of people who don't believe the peace 
that Jesus has made for us. You see, Jesus made peace for me and for you on the cross. He satisfied the claims of the law. The law that condemns you and me has been fulfilled by Jesus. He has now made peace. And He's welcoming us to shore. He's saying, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. John Piper says it this way. He says, The natural person prefers his own autonomy and will sin as a result. Glad submission to God's authority and to God's superior value is something that we are not able to do. He says God's control, His authority, gives us freedom because the human will is free when it is not in bondage to prefer and to choose irrationally. It is free when it is liberated from preferring what is infinitely less preferable than God and from choosing what will lead to destruction. You see, left to our own thoughts, opinions, plans, we will fail. We will choose the wrong thing. You see, every one of us submits to something. But it is only submission to God's authority that will free you from slavery in bondage to yourself, to being king of your own life, to you being on the throne of your heart. See, as we will celebrate next week, we know the end of the story, that the crucifixion of Jesus was not the end, but that God surprised everyone by demonstrating that He has control over sin and over death. That he raised his son from the grave in three days. What an amazing thing that is. This centurion, this guard, he imagined all the things that would happen. He witnessed all the things that happened. He went home and he thought about all the things that happened. You see, this is what the Bible says. In Mark chapter 15, it says, When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Can I encourage you this morning to stop fighting for control of your life? Can I encourage you this morning, like the centurion did, that after all that he had witnessed, the Bible says, look, it says he, he stood and he faced him. Look, I don't know what you've done, but Jesus does. And so many times what your flesh will tell you is that you're not worthy, that you're not able, that God doesn't love you, that God's plans will somehow wreck your plans, that God will ask you to do things that you hate and your life will be miserable. But in fact, that's not the case. That is a lie from the devil. The truth is is that when you surrender your life, when you stand and you face Jesus and you acknowledge 
the reality that in and of yourself, you are not capable of standing in the presence of God. But because of the righteousness of Jesus that has been granted to you and to me, that we can in fact stand and face Jesus and not be condemned. Right? Because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. That we can stand there in front of God the Father and we can say, because of Jesus, I now have peace with the Father, Romans chapter 5. And so the question today is, will you surrender in the battle that has already been won? Listen, the war is over. Peace has been declared. And for you and for me, peace is waiting for you on the other side. His name is Jesus. Stop circling the port. Stop running out of supplies. Stop believing that you're in absolute control and surrender your life to Jesus. Surrender control. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, hey, I've surrendered my, my heart, my life to Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I struggle with control in this area of my life. I struggle with control in this area. There's conflict in my life in this area of my life. What you need to do is you need to bow before the Father. You need to bow before the Father and you need to surrender that part of your life to God. That you need to declare that the war is over, God. That I receive the peace treaty that you have enacted on my behalf. That, God, I acknowledge the fact that I did start the war. That I acknowledge the fact that I want to be king of my life. But I know that the only way to true peace is through lordship of Jesus in my life. That's the only way to have peace is for Jesus to be Lord. The question this morning is, will you surrender. Peace has been declared. The war is over. All you have to do is come. Let's pray. God, we bow before you.